Chapter 8 of The Gargoyle by Grea Laspina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 8 Lucifer's Chapel. Follow me, make no sound. Luke followed down dark passages, up and down winding stairways. At last, a closed door at the end of a long corridor was reached. Alden turned with a warning gesture. I am now taking you where you can unseen look down into the interior of the chapel. I found the place years ago by accident. She shuddered convulsively. Good God, it was horrible. I have not been there since, and I cannot face the evil that dwells there. You must go in alone. Luke's hand was turning the knob with caution, but he whispered sternly. If I do not return within a half hour... You must open the door and come for me, for Sybil's sake. To himself he was thinking resentfully that if Herbert Benny's mind were not so easily unbalanced, the little cultist might have been of assistance. As matters stood, however, Cagliostro Moderno would be a nuisance instead of a help, owing to his blind mad devotion to occultism. Luke opened the door. A stream of brilliant ruby radiance shot out through the chink, casting a lurid and ghastly gleam upon the white face of the poor mother, who dropped to her knees with a terrified gasp and began to pray fervently. The artist looked within. There was a long, narrow gallery with apparently no discernible outlet save the door by which he was now entering. A latticework screen rose from the solid stone balustrade, forming a shield for him while permitting at the same time an unobstructed view of the immense room below. Through the lacy interstices of this screen there poured the intolerably brilliant red light. Luke closed the door quietly and stepped close to the screen. What he saw below filled him with unutterable horror and loathing. He was looking upon one of those unholy places which have been desecrated to mocking ceremonials by the foul imaginations of perverted men and women, devoted body and soul to the worship of evil. The room was a large one, and the crimson light illuminated it sufficiently for him to distinguish fairly well the decorations and furnishings all of a character so bizarre, so vile, as to force upon him the conclusion that they must have been designed and carried out by diseased imaginations. Walls and hangings were black, absorbing the radiance of that ruby illumination, but here and there the artist could distinguish what he felt must have been, in a white light, embroideries of occult symbols upon the hangings. Against this backdrop stood, at irregular intervals, great white crosses before which were sculptured figures in black, figures that made him shudder with uncontrollable horror at their repulsive and abhorrent ugliness. It seemed as if the human imagination had here attained the climax of revolting, horrific distortion and deformity in sculpture and pictorial art. Not a statue, not a painting but showed the human face and form in such revolting deformity as to send sickly shudders through the observer's shrinking frame. The purpose of this ghastly place was obvious. The red light shining everywhere now attracted Luke's attention. It originated in a crystal sphere, hung on almost invisible chains in a shrine just back of the altar. The gleam was not a quiet one. It played about the heart of that globe, like darting flames of unquiet, unholy fire. And as these tongues of ruby light played in and out, and licked the surface of the sphere uncannily, the shadows in the chapel moved and danced, 
until it seemed to Luke's excited gaze that they actually possessed life and only waited the right moment to move from their pedestals and go horribly forward to worship at that altar. Evil, unutterable evil, hovered about that glowing sphere. A fugitive gleam of golden light came from behind a draped doorway at one side of the altar. The light grew stronger. A short, squat figure, voluminously veiled in black, emerged, carrying a tall candle of black wax that burned with a yellow flame. The figure advanced to the lower steps of the altar, paused, made a deeply reverent genuflection. Then Guy, for Luke surmised that it was he, placed the candle in a ready holder at one end of a long marble slab which formed an altar. Again he bent deeply, then faced about behind the altar as if waiting. The curtain swung aside again, this time admitting a processional of three persons. And the van strutted with inconceivable pride and dignity, the short, stout form of Cagliostro, draped in trailing red robes embroidered with black symbols of mysticism. The occultist bore another candle, which he has solemnly placed at the lower end of the altar, taking his place then beside the master. The other two worshippers were women. Madame Fane was the first, kneeling upon the steps before the altar, with a kind of shrinking dread discernible on her face. She was in black, but the other figure was white-draped. Luke, a choking sensation in his throat, recognized the tranquil, unmoved face of Sybil Fane. The girl went forward to the steps of the shrine, bowed deeply, then mounted the stairs until she stood above the two adepts, and immediately before the crystal globe, which began to shimmer vaguely with the violent agitation of those red and evil tongues of lurid light. Madame Fane arose. From a great casket at one side she took double handfuls of some powder, casting it upon a tripod censer that up to now had apparently been unlighted. But at once, following her action, that crystal sphere shot out its tongues of flame, Longer, longer. One reached, ignited, the incense. Tall spirals of smoke poured out, heavy with some eastern fragrance that rose almost overpoweringly to Luke's nostrils. As he inhaled it reluctantly, it seemed to him that the obscene, sculptured figures below began to stir uneasily, coming to life at last. Madame Fane sank once more upon her knees, her forehead resting on the stair above her. Sybil continued to stand, immovable, before that glowing sphere from which an occasional tongue of flame shot out toward her, but retracted before coming in contact with the girl. Behind the altar the two magi now raised their arms in frantic invocation toward the shrine of the ruby globe. Lucifer! 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 Son of the morning, we offer thee that sacrifice thou hast demanded! Give us a sign, appear we implore thee. The hearts of doves and young lambs have I offered thee, O Lord of the fallen hosts. Tonight I offer the soul of a virgin, a virgin maid, Lord Lucifer, a sign, a sign that my sacrifice will be acceptable. Cagliostro was stirring uneasily, carroty head lifted from between his outstretched arms. Luke could see inexplicable emotions following each other over that Cupid's bow mouth that twisted so oddly. The squinty blue eyes were now upon Sybil as she stood motionless before the great globe. He leaned toward Guy Fane and whispered something hurriedly. The master bent a dark gaze upon him through the folds of the veil. Hush, fool! 
Do you not see that Lord Lucifer is showing himself to his worshippers? Cagliostro, offended, shrank back. From the sphere shot those quivering tongues as of living flame, licking its surface in gracious curves and reaching out on either side of Sybil's quiescent form, like the groping tentacles of an octopus. The still air began to stir with murmuring sounds. A soft whining hum vibrated on the atmosphere as if some unearthly visitant were cleaving the ether with sweeping wings as it passed through space. Luke's knees suddenly gave way under him. Some potent influence against which he was powerless to resist had pushed him down. He knelt because he could not stand up, but he could still stare through the lattice with starting eyes. Sybil was moving, as if impelled by some irresistible force. She moved slowly backward down the steps of the shrine until she reached the marble slab. Upon this she bent back until she lay upon it arms stiff at her sides. Guy Fane was throwing his hands into the air with wild, triumphant gestures. Then he fumbled under his enveloping garments and drew forth a knife. As the blade flashed upward, Cagliostro Moderno, awakening from his trance, flung himself forward and knocked the knife clinging and whirring down into the middle of the room. His face, a mingled materialization of stupefaction and horror, writhed into that squared semblance of a Greek tragic mask which he had worn on the night he had fled through the forest from the monster he had seen bending over the bridge. Well, "'I forbid it!' shouted the little occultist frantically. "'Fool! Let me alone! How dare you interrupt! Lord Lucifer, I implore!' Madame Fane had come to her feet and was watching the two, who swayed back and forth as they struggled on the steps of the altar. The shrouding veils that concealed her son's face were in the hands of the other mage, who tore at them frantically. They parted. From his vantage point, Luke strained to see, but Guy Fane's back was toward him. Only the tragic mask of Herbert Benny's round face was visible, and that was frozen into a horror so dreadful, so unbearable, so nearly verging upon utter madness that Luke's blood congealed in his veins. What was the little man seeing that he should shrink back, letting the veil fall again over Guy Fane's now motionless figure? Could it be true that the master could blast with a look of his terrible eyes? There was a frightful wailing cry from the occultist's widened lips. He staggered away from the altar, down the steps, stumbling as if blinded and plunged out of sight behind the drapery that hung before the door by which the procession had entered. Luke tried to get to his feet. He managed to rise and cling to the screen. How to rescue Sybil was his overmastering thought, but until he could conquer that strange weakness which had overcome him, it was useless to do other than try, if necessary, to shoot from his concealment, in the hope of at least terrifying Guy Fane enough to stop the present ceremony. With this in mind, he fumbled for the automatic. Madame Fane, however, had run up the steps of the altar. She bent over the girl. After a moment, she lifted the golden head upon her arm, regarded Sybil's face intently, and then addressed her son, who watched without changing the position he had held as the horrified Cagliostro fled his presence. She is coming out of the trance, Guy, said Madame Fane, almost with eagerness. You can do nothing more tonight. Let me take her back to her room, my son, she almost pleaded. A hard laugh issued from the master. I would have won tonight. By now, had not that fool, may he be blasted in soul and body forever, prevented me. 
I thought him pliable enough to serve my purpose. Now I must get him out of the way, or he may try to balk me in my plans. Fool! To trust any other human being. Madame Fane lifted the supine form into her arms, but as she turned to go, she spake again. You lied to me, Guy. You told me you would not resort to the knife with her. The knife I will not suffer, I tell you. You must find some other way to your purpose. Is not Lucifer powerful enough to give you what you seek if you deliver over this girl's soul instead of her body? Oh, mother, mother, how often you must stand in my way. Just when I see it clear, yes, it can be done without blood. But the experiment is difficult, and who knows when she will love enough to build the foundation for her own destruction. As to that, my son, all is ready, asserted Madame Fane. Mother, are you sure... Madame Fane walked away, carrying the light form carefully. At the door, she turned back for a minute. Guy, if you do not play me false in this matter, I will serve you to the bitter end. But I will not have the girl's life given to Lucifer, not while I can prevent it. All shall come as you desire, but with her a living sacrifice. Do you feel the prophetic spell upon you, my mother? I am not sure, but you can consult her later. Guy Fane, thinking himself alone, leaped up the shrine steps and prostrated himself before the crystal globe. The tongues of ruby flame grew paler. The chapel's dusk increased. Luke found himself able to walk and managed to get to the door. Outside knelt Alden, still praying. He touched her gently on the shoulder and she started, opening her closed eyes to look at him questioningly. Madame Fane has taken Sybil back to her room, Luke told the anxious mother. But tomorrow, we must get her out of this devilish place. I've seen her tonight stretched upon the altar, and Guy Fane would have buried a knife in her heart had not Benny been there to prevent the crime. Give me your pistol, please, whispered Alden tensely. If they try to take her from me again, I can at least save her from such a horrible death. Better she should die innocent at her mother's hand than a bloody sacrifice to the powers of evil. Luke hesitated a moment then laid the pistol in the mother's hand. I can get along without it, I fancy. And now that Benny seems to have come partly to his senses, perhaps we can enlist him on our side, unless he is sent away, he added, remembering the master's words. And between ourselves, I think it would be wise to warn Sybil of the danger that lies ahead. She ought to know. It might be dangerous to spring it all upon her at the last moment. She believes her cousin a kind of god, doesn't she? She shall know the truth about him, promised Alden grimly. End of chapter 8